Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 98. It is the second week of May, and hopefully... All of you had a chance to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, Certainly, the mothers do not get the love in our sport that the dads get for Father's Day. But we all know. I mean, we all know what it takes and what they've done and sacrificed to help us with our dreams and and just enjoyment in the sport. So uh, I was very lucky. I got to spend some time with my mother and the rest of my family this past weekend. It was absolutely great fun. I did not get to race, but I did get I did get to put my hands on the Simmermaker Motorsports Hot Rod. So that was nice. Uh, we're getting closer to normalcy there. Um, and then I made the family watch the Kentucky Derby, which we are going to get to later because it was awesome and uh, made some great memories with the fam. So I hope you did as well. Um, you know, as we get a little older, we want to celebrate those times as much as we can. So hopefully you were able to do that. And hopefully you were able to enter the Fast Brackets podcast, Winlight Bet sponsored PDRA Elite Top Sportsman and Elite Top Dragster Fantasy League. It is easy. Um, You just have to message either the Fast Brackets Podcast Facebook page or the Winlight Bets Facebook page and submit four drivers for both top dragster and top sportsman and then just watch as those drivers accumulate points for you. The winner gets a bunch of swag and you can follow the Winlight Bets Facebook page for all the latest updates. Uh, Certainly fantasy sports like this Um, and gaming are becoming more and more mainstream. I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel were built on the Fantasy League model, and now they are the biggest sports books in the world. So uh, Fantasy Leagues are especially a great way to be involved without breaking any parts in the process, which is really nice. Um, There are, I will say this, there were some internet connection issues at Bowling Green, so we decided to allow another event in before we cut it out. So Um, Ultimately, if you have already entered, you get a chance to make uh, a correction potentially to your four drivers on both sides of it, top sportsman and top dragster. 
Um, and for all of you that didn't get a chance to put your names in before then, you have until Memorial Day weekend to get those names in. So at this point, we are 25% of the way through the PDRA schedule. It's in the books, and so you should be able to make some clear decisions and good predictions from here on out about who is going to make moves in elite top sportsman and elite top dragster. Um, so as I've said this before too, there will be a time in a, probably about five years where a 21-year-old will have never lived in a world where legal gambling on literally everything didn't exist. Um, essentially, if you can't legally gamble on that sport, people will assume, young people especially, will assume that it is like the WWF, it's like wrestling, and it's all made up. So for our part at the Fast Brackets podcast and Winlight Bets, we are helping legitimize the sport for everyone out there, but especially the younger folks. Um, guys, girls, I have two great guests on today. First of all, Kyle Harris. He's an elite top dragster standout who champions a blown altered based out of Canada and is a great, great conversation with him. And then also we have Charles Tidwell, who is a fire safety expert. He's going to help us understand more about what happens with electric vehicles and what we should know about fires and how to deal with them when they catch on fire. So as our sport moves on and on with uh, electric vehicles, that's going to be more important. So listen to him uh, as well. He's, he's going to help us out a little bit. So get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute, clean the shop, or work on that old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put episode number 98 in the water box. And let's talk a little F1 action. And I know, I know, this is a little bit out of the groove. But hang on here with me. Um, you will understand what I'm talking about here very shortly. The first event in Miami was this weekend. Max Verstappen wins the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. By all accounts, it was an awesome show. Truthfully, I don't follow it all that much. But the organization of F1 is intent on making a splash in the U.S. As it now, there will have uh, they'll have three events here starting next year, the most events in any one country. A thought that would have been unheard of a decade ago. Um, so that's a really a change of pace um, from the administration side of F1. Also, the value of F1 has doubled in the past four years. The value of an F1 team is now almost a half a billion dollars now, thanks in part to the new ownership group and their aggressive marketing strategy, one which includes the Netflix series Drive to Survive. Honestly, I have not gotten into it that much, but those that have say it's pretty good, and clearly it is working. Sadly, the old owner, Bernie Ecclestone, mucked things up pretty good here in Indy, so Miami, Texas, and Vegas are the recipients of the spectacle moving forward. But what I thought was interesting is this. 
Ecclestone sold F1 to Liberty Media in 2017 for $4.4 billion. Prior to the sale, Ecclestone had this to say. I don't know why people want to get the so-called young generation. Why do they want to do that? Is it to sell them something? Most of these kids haven't got any money. I'd rather get to the 70-year-old guy who's got plenty of cash. So there's no point trying to reach these kids because they won't buy any of the products here. And if the marketers are aiming at this audience, they maybe should advertise with Disney. I'm not interested in tweeting, Facebook, and whatever that nonsense is. I tried to find out, but in any case, I'm too old-fashioned. I couldn't see any value in it. First off, I have no idea why I gave you that accent. Uh, Clearly, he's English. The accent should be completely different, but the point is the same. Uh, Bernie didn't want any part of young kids. He didn't want to market to the young generation. He said, hey, let's milk the 70-year-old fan as much as we can. Fine. Bold strategy, uh, but here's the issue. Five years ago, the average fan was north of 36 years old. Today, the average fan is 32 years old. For comparison, Major League Baseball, the average fan is 57, the NFL is 50, and the NBA is 42. Uh, The best info that I can find is from 2014, so eight years ago, stating that the average fan of the NHRA is 46 years old. So I assume it's on par with the NFL now, is what I would assume. But I say all of that to tell you this. If you are marketing anything, don't make the same mistake that Bernie Ecclestone did. Do what Liberty Media did, which is market to the young fans. They are completely on board. Uh, Obviously, the Miami event was outrageous. It went off very well. Uh, Texas sold out. Vegas probably already sold out. Do not make the same mistake that Bernie Ecclestone did and undervalue your company, undervalue your product, and undervalue the younger audience. Simply embracing them will likely double your value. All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by AFCO Racing Products. On with us now from Burford, Ontario, Canada. He is your most recent winner of the PDRA Top Dragster event, the Door Sandler Derby. From Ontario, Canada, Kyle Harris. Kyle, how are you today, my man? Hi, Rex. Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Well, I'm good, but I'm not nearly as good as you. You just came off rolling through the top, the elite top dragster field um, in Bowling Green, and uh, you caught me off guard, Kyle. I'm going to be completely honest. I, you caught me off guard um, because, brother, you're doing everything wrong. I mean, you're in Canada, coming down here to the states. You're you're driving an altered instead of a dragster in top dragster and you're cleaning up you just had an unbelievable weekend um so uh i am not nearly as good as you (laughs) well thanks for that um the the competition has always been very very 
stiff with the PDRA. The, the great bunch of guys, uh, guys, gals, teams, like just, it's, it's an unbelievable field to be able to compete at that level is, is, you know, it's humbling for us too, as a team, because we are from, we are traveling a great distance to get to these races and we're, we're, we're quite dedicated. And I think people see that. And I actually think that we get a little bit of fanfare because of it, because we do travel and we, we do put so much effort into it. So, um, yeah, we're, we're super proud of the, super proud of the win and we're, um, we're, you know, hoping to carry some momentum, uh, from, from this last race. And I was thinking that we were going to do pretty good on the first race we went to too at Galat. Um, but we had a little battery issue that stopped us from, <clears throat> from, uh, competing with round one. Um, was a bit disappointing for us, but man, we got some redemption at the next race. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Um, and let's be honest, some of this fanfare is not just because you're putting a lot of miles on the, on the uh, motorhome, but, uh, a lot of it comes from the fact that you're driving a blown altered, um, in what is a field full of dragsters. Yeah. I, I mean, that's not lost on us. That's for sure. Uh, we get asked that on a daily basis. Some, some people ask us, you know, like, what are we even thinking? Um, bringing, <laughs> sure. a, bringing a knife to a gunfight like that. But, um, but we've, we've, well, I built, I, we've, this car has been in our stable since I think 2016 and, and we've, we've campaigned it pretty hard. And, and I feel like through good management, the car could be consistent. And I think we showed that. I think we show that every time we show up. I, I actually, I believe that it's not, I don't think it's the car that's inconsistent. It's, it's me. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I've, I've had to do a lot of work, uh, on myself to try to get, you know, the lights where we need to be. And I, the focus, which is admittedly hard in this car, because there's a lot going on in front of me. Um, over over the last three years, we actually built a brand new dragster, and I contemplated. It's a 280 inch blown alcohol dragster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's brand new, and uh, we entertained the idea of bringing that to PDRA because maybe it would just maybe it would just be a little bit easier for us to manage, and maybe we could uh, you know if we can make the altered repeat the way that it does and be as competitive as it is, maybe we would just be that much better with the dragster. But at the end of the day. The fun ride of the altered gives way to the <laughs> to, to what you see at the racetrack. That's for sure. Right. We love it. We actually love. We actually like the attention too. <laughs> if I could be totally honest with you, we like the attention of having something a little bit different, and I think it also maybe perhaps brings a little a little extra awareness to the class. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, well, let's let's go back. You said you've owned this altered since 2016, I think. What was it? Was your plan originally to run it in top dragster style events, or was there another plan and you found yourself here? No, no, we'd always we'd always wanted to put this together as a top dragster. Uh, I guess I'm lying a little bit. We we bought it and we bought the bare chassis in 2012, and we finished the car in 2016. We had a supercharged small block Chev in the car with a power glide transmission and. Um, it wasn't what we aspired to do. We, we wanted to keep growing the program and eventually, you know, made it what it is today. But, um, yeah, it's, it's it, like, it's, it's, 
it's it's an animal. There's no doubt about that. I I I don't believe the car. I don't believe the car is is the inconsistent thing. Believe it or not, but there's so many elements to tuning a a blown alcohol. Anything, you've got drive shaft speed to worry about, transmission ratio. So it's like at at these speeds and at this level, um, like we're making a lot of horsepower. So trying to control all that and make it repeat is that's well, that's the difficult part. Well, uh, no, makes perfect sense. And if you're asking me, I mean, I think, you know, we should have a whole class full of, uh, you know, blown altered um, bracket racing. I think that would be unbelievable to watch. But um, you've mentioned that. Why don't, why don't you walk us through the car just a little bit? Give us give our listeners a little rundown, maybe if they haven't seen your car. So it's um, it's actually uh, the chassis of 1996. Six chassis is a top alcohol funny car that was a champion championship winning funny car back in the IHRA days, and uh, it was owned by uh, uh, Rob Atchison, uh, whom I actually raced with since around I think I started racing with Rob around 2001, and so he built this car as a top alcohol funny car. He won three world champions championships with that car in IHRA, and. Um, sold it to me after he purchased and built a new one. And, um, and from there I went ahead and turned it into this altar. So it's, it's, it's taken a transformation. Uh, some, some of it is financial, you know, it's hard to jump into a big, you know, big 481X uh, platform. So we started with a, you know, small block setup, a power glide, and eventually moved into what you see there today. So it's a 125-inch wheelbase, uh, top alcohol, funny car, legal chassis with the modifications modifications that are required for a top dragster. It has to have a little shorter uh, nose on it, like the the chassis overreach from the front axle forward is a little bit shorter than a top alcohol funny car. But outside of that, it's, it's, it's it's a total... Uh, totally legal chassis for that for that series gotcha we um we put in the as you see it now it's it's equipped with a 41x uh engine platform and um you run a a roots blower like a it's a psi uh, roots blower that we had troy critchley from hammer superchargers uh go through and modify and make it the best it could be it's some older technology. It's not the it's not the latest and greatest stuff, that's for sure. Uh, but um, but we make it work. Um, the the uh, it's a it runs a, a Bruno drive uh, a converter drive system and and uh, we run a Lenko transmission behind that. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, what rear end do you? I'm guessing it's um, you're you're trying to calm that thing down. What rear end ratio do you run? Well, it's a top loader, so it's not the type. It's not the type of rear end that you can just drop um, um, drop uh, gear ratios in and out of. It's pretty extensive work in order to get that that type out. But it's also for that type of car, solid suspension. Um, it's it's the strongest I feel. In fact, they they use top loaders and top fuel. Not this size, not this size of gear, but we run a and uh, we we run the top loader because of the strength it adds to the chassis so um it's a it's equipped with a right now we're sitting at a 486 to 1 gear ratio um our transmission we're it's a it's a two speed which i shift by the way there's no automation on this car whatsoever oh really okay um yep 
Yep, there's a shift light sitting on top of the blower, and the shift light comes on. I push the button like a dummy. Kyle, like <laughs> sometimes I can't wait. <laughs> you're getting me fired up, man. You are getting me fired up. That's so awesome. I mean, I, I know, I know, you know, we're in a field that is consistencies measured by ten thousandths of a second, but um, man, that is cool stuff. And I, I mean, if I, you know, was king of the world, I would make everybody shift their own stuff. So that is super, <laughs> super cool. And and I wouldn't have guessed well, a four eighty six. Feel to it. Oh, I bet right. That's yeah, a four eighty. Yeah, it's a four eighty six rear end gear. We run uh, our Lenko transmission, so they're. Uh, I think for that race we changed we changed ratios a couple of times trying to find what the track wanted, and of course we were changing converters a little bit too during the test days to during the testing day to try to figure out what that track wants. And I mean Bowling Green's a great facility. We've raced there before. Um, me personally, I've never, ri- I've, me personally, I've never driven a race car on that surface, but I'd raced there with the funny car with Rob and, uh, my brother as well. My brother, I built my brother, uh, a, a 1955 Bel Air, uh, nostalgia funny car that we ran in one of the, uh, one of the nostalgia races there, I think back in 2018 or something like that. So, okay. so, I mean, I, it's a great facility and I'm aware of, of how well the facility is, is prepared and, and what a great racing surface it is. And of course it proved to be just that I, it didn't matter how much I threw at it. It was taking it. It was just, it was just eating the car up to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch that thing go. And if I remember right, you were dialed what three ninety five all weekend? Is that right? Uh, no, three three eighty. So we qualified with a three eighty two, and uh, during testing we went a three eighty or a three eighty one. Okay. And well, uh, the air got apologies. a little bit. The air got a little. The air got a little bit worse during elimination. So it was it was really good. Had a great barometer, and uh, during eliminations the barometer kept falling off. So uh, we were we were de- but. Uh, all things are equal with with that as the as the temperature was dropping, even though the barometer was jo- dropping, the corrected uh, air correction a little bit better. Um, it's a blower car. It also doesn't appreciate. It needs barometer to run fast, mm-hmm. um, and it needs also needs you know low humidity would be ideal for that sort of a setup. But but uh, during eliminations we were running you know 385s. In okay. fact, uh, I think it was in, in third round. I think I think I ran 385 dead on with a zero, and I think I had a, a 10 light or something. I think it was a 10 package or something to get me into the to get me into the finals. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, my old age got to me there, Kyle, um, and I couldn't couldn't read the scoreboard. I don't think very well. So yeah, 385s dialing that thing in your altered. Um, you know, just a little bit against the grain. I mean, obviously everybody else is running these uh, longer wheelbase dragsters, but man, you you made it work, and it, that thing was fun to watch all all weekend long. Thanks. Or, um, it really. No, was. I really appreciate that. There's a lot going on in front of me, and keep in mind, I can't see. Like, there's nothing for me to look at, other than the injector hat. So, like, I'm, I, my field of vision is pretty limited. Um, I, we mostly drive by the by the feel of the of the car, and I'm, I'm basically sitting up over top of the rear end, so I can feel when the car is going left or right. That's the other thing; it's it it carries the wheels like 
it, it, it will carry the wheels right to the shift and then it'll set it down when I shift and then it picks them right back up again. There's lots of video uh, from, from that particular race where you're seeing that and it can make the car a little hard to control <laughs> as well, a little bit more unpredictable, but <laughs> right. it's not like it's, uh, going those speeds. It's not like you can just lift or shift early and try to hopefully set the front end down because it doesn't matter when I shift that thing. It's, it picks the front end right back up and I'm, I'm back to square one again. Right. But Kyle, do me, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody else that you can't see. I mean, we're trying to get more cars out there like this. Uh, so people drive them, not less, <laughs> you know, NHRA hears that you can't see. They'll never, they'll never let another one on the property. <laughs> well, most people just ask me that they just want to know what's wrong with me. Actually. <laughs> one guy, one guy in the staging lanes there, he said, uh, are you the guy that drives that altered? And I said, yeah. And he looks, and he goes, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what he said. I, I just shrugged my shoulder. I said, I don't know. I think we're all sick. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We're, as it was put to me, we're all here. Cause we're not all there, Kyle. That's uh that's, yeah, uh, you know, the thing. Enough. Um, well, and I know yeah, I would I, go ahead. I was just going to say, if, if there was this, uh, if there was this class of alters out there that that would run, or if there's anybody aspiring to run one of these things, I wouldn't be afraid just because you can't see, because uh, the the fun of driving it is literally supersedes any of the negativity surrounding the surrounding the way you know how you have to drive that type of a car. You got to manhandle that thing. There's no. I've hit cones. I've it, the car's gotten away from from me before. It, it's it's a wrestling match. And maybe most people are right. It's probably a miracle that we're able to run it um, <laughs> as consistently as we do because I've got my hands full with that thing every single time I get strapped into it. Yeah, well, you made it look easy. And we, com- mean, we, we comment. Yeah. We well, make you, it work. Yeah, you. Um, I know what you're saying, and there is a lot of work um, that you have to do behind the seat for sure or uh, behind that wheel for sure, but, but you made it look easy like you weren't working at all um, on Saturday. And so, uh, in Bowling Green, so nicely done with that. But I also know you've got a lot of, a lot of help too. I mean, you've got a, a great crew. Tell us about who all comes with you and who all helps you from a, from a crew standpoint and, and, and just even, uh, sponsors, et cetera. Yeah. So we do this as a family. So at the, uh, it's, it's primarily just myself, my son and my wife. Um, we have, I also have uh, Mike, like uh, as a party that comes with us, and he's actually my wife's uncle. So um, we again just do it as a family, and that's very that's what attracted us to the PDRA. Actually, is just it, it felt like a good family-run operation. We started running with them back in uh, 2018, I think, and just was impressed with how how they took us in that way as a family so that's that part's really important to us um one of our sponsors is mountain tire and mountain tire is is owned by um by mike like as a party who crews oh, okay so how, how 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 much better than to have one of the guys that helps sponsors the car to help get us there uh to be there working on the car to be so passionate about it um so that 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 actually drives us drives us to try to succeed even more just to see somebody else being that excited right yeah and amazing. um so 
so yeah, we have uh, Mountain Tire. They help us out. Um, uh, we have the Double O Permit and Project Services. Uh, they they these guys have just been supporting us for for such a long time, and we just you know any any and all of our sponsors. I mean, they they. they to, to put one of these cars out there to run at this level and you know to to to, to make this kind of travel is, is obviously you've got to have sponsors you got and for us for us we do anyways um we, we we'd love to do this full time but it's just that's that's just not how it is you yeah know? so well and you so also we, uh, we have well you also because you have your son is racing as well right so um so when you have your your help there and the sponsors um they're they're sponsoring you but also your son who runs in the junior side as well correct yeah that's right actually our, our introduction to the whole sponsorship actually came by by virtue of the junior dragster scene um, um back back when uh, our daughter started running the junior dragster she was 12 years old at the time and um she helped bring us some sponsorship to the car and uh, we started doing some events and um, some some displays together, and you know it, uh, it kind of snowballed into into what it is. Like we we have we have we do get a lot of help, and um, and I think the junior dragster scene actually um, really helps helps uh, with that because you know we can get some support behind behind our kids, which which I think, you know, also lends to, to help, help them realize, you know, the responsibility behind that, behind going down that road. Sure. So, um, and my, my son, yes, my son now, he's driving the, the junior drag. She's taken over the duties since uh, my daughter is aged out. And, um, and he is, he's, he's supported by, by the same companies, Mountain Tire, the Double O Permanent Project Services, uh, All Steel Fabrication. If I can get their name out there too, they help us uh, a lot. And um, yeah, it's just uh, it's 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 quite something to be able to. I'm proud to to be able to to to, to try to instill some of these uh, racing uh, values and characteristics with my son. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's one of the the real true. Um, I don't know what the word, the, maybe, you know, the greatest thing about racing is we get to spend a lot of time with our families. And, uh, that is, uh, that is, that is a great, great part of it. Um, so you well, I think those junior programs get overlooked a lot. And I, and I mean, I have to admit even myself in my, in my early bracket days with my, you know, with my, uh, bracket cars, uh, those junior cars, they, they, they weren't appreciated a lot, even by me back then. Like they just kind of, but these guys are the future, and yeah. I I don't speak I don't speak to that just because just because you know my son or my kids are of, of my involvement with junior dragster racing at all. I say that because I see in I, in our in our tenure of racing, I see a, I I don't see a lot of new people coming in. A lot of the old, a lot of a lot of a lot of the older people that have just been doing it for a very long time, and. I get excited to see new people get involved and I see when I see the kids uh, out there, you know, taking it all in and, and, you know, showing that type of interest, you know, that that's going to be something that's going to be beneficial for the class later. So as we mature, as, as I personally matured as a drag racer, I started to realize that, Hey, these, these guys are actually pretty important to the whole, 
the bigger picture. I completely agree. Um, yeah, if if um, we're, we're all get old, and at some point, if there's not somebody behind us, then uh, how does the sport evolve? So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think the mm-hmm. series like the PDRA do a great job of incorporating the juniors, even though personally, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I could you know they they uh, drive me crazy a little bit. I feel like my neighbors are in the yard <laughs> all the time, but but you know, um, you're not wrong. For the for the good of the sport, Kyle. For the good of the sport, I'm uh, I'm down with that. That's right. Uh, um, all right. So what's next then? You're gonna have essentially a home event, right? Uh, PDRA Norwalk. That's probably the closest um, track to you. How long does it take you to get to Norwalk? So Norwalk is yeah. It's I think it's the closest one on the tour. So we're pretty excited to go to this one. For us, it's gonna take us about six hours. Not. No, nothing crazy. We can actually leave the same day and, and arrive on the same day, which is fantastic. Right, <laughs> right. But uh, Ohio, Ohio is is an awesome facility. Um, been racing there with the IHRA over the years, so I've certainly spent my fair share of time there at the track with with the baiters, and um, uh, we're really looking forward to it. Really yeah. looking forward to that one and. And then will you'll chase the rest of the series then, the PDRA Elite Top Dragster Series, trying to chase that championship down? Yep. Yep, That's that would be the goal. So we've been two years in hiatus because of the border being closed um, during the pandemic here. So we've been anxiously awaiting the opportunity to get back out there and to get back in the fields and try to put some of the, the thoughts we had you know, over the last couple of years to work. And, uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to say that it seems as though some of that, some of that thought process is starting to pay off because me personally, I've never been more comfortable behind the wheel of that, of that altered. Wow. You just made a bunch of U S citizens, uh, disappointed with that statement right there, Kyle. Um, you, you know, um, they were, they were hiding behind, uh, you having to stay on the other side of the border and now you're coming back uh, all fired up. So, um, yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah, we're fired up. All right. Hey, for our listeners who have not seen your car and they want to check it out, um, do you have a website or what's the, what's the best way for our listeners to check out your car? Yeah, we got uh, we got some social media content there on either Facebook or Instagram. Uh, we have, we also have a website. It's uh, at uh, kyleharrisracing.com, and uh, yeah, you can you can check it out. We we try to we try to keep that posted, try to keep it current, yeah. current as we can. So so there's obviously going to be a lot of material on there from uh, from the last race, but feel free to kind of check back through the some of the older stuff. You might see you know, some footage of us with our new dragster that we built. I, I tested it out there. We were able to run it locally and it's very fast and it's very cool to drive, but it just didn't have quite the thrill that the altered does. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, nicely done, um, in Bowling Green, good luck, uh, for the rest of the series and, um, yeah, keep it, keep it rolling because it is fun to watch. That's great. I really appreciate your time here and your listeners as well. And, and, uh, yeah, well, I uh, appreciate the, the good thoughts and, uh, we're going to, we're going to do our best to keep it rolling. Guys, girls, that was Kyle Harris coming from Canada, driving an altered 
and winning in the Elite Top Dragster Series um, if you need them. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. For all your high horsepower legal needs, get with Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. All right, we're going to keep this short because the interviews and this uh, this uh, episode has uh, run a little bit long, which is good. It, that is really good, but I'm going to keep this a little bit short, so I'm going to tell you this. Um, the PDRA action in Bowling Green was phenomenal. Let's start it with elite top sportsmen. Buddy Perkinson goes number one, 378 with a seven at 188 miles an hour for the top spot. But your winner was Chris Nigers over Donnie Urban. Chris, uh, in that beautiful new Corvette, is uh, an 84 on his 383 dial for the win in Elite Top Sportsman. Chris Nigers uh, going to make a run at it this year for sure. On the elite top dragster side, it was just as competitive. Larry Roberts goes number one at 377.2. Pretty amazing, actually, that uh, really the elite top dragster and elite top sportsman are only separated by a hundred and a half. That's uh, pretty pretty phenomenal for both those guys. But your winner was Kyle Harris. You heard him earlier here uh, in the in in the beam segment, and he gets a win over Nick Hamilton. Nick was. Too thou, too quick, um, but a great race had by those guys, and congrats to Kyle Harris again. On the top sportsman side, the regular top sportsman side, Joe Rubicek over Mark Payne in the final. Joe with just a masterful job driving the stripe for the win, so congrats to Joe Rubicek. He's been on the show. Check him out. He was amazing as well. And then on the top dragster side, Nick Eisenhower, uh, former Super Gas World Champ over Stacy Hall in the final. Get this, Nick 4,000 over his 4.45 dial total six thou package. Stacy 4,000 over his 4.36 dial nine thou package. Three thou separates them. What a great race! And I will tell you this: I'm I'm getting, and I really do enjoy the quote unquote regular top sportsman and regular top dragster just as much as I do the elite side. The racing is so good; it's so competitive and is so close. And those cars are are just as phenomenal. I mean, I think I think uh, guns my head. I think um, if he said, Rex, what would you like to do? I would do it kind of the way Nick Maloney does. Stacy Hall does the same thing where, you know, you drive two regular cars, like a top sportsman car and a regular top dragster car, and you get a lot of seat time. That Those classes are just exciting for me as anything else, and it's kind of fun to have Nick Eisenhower dip his toe in the water with that. Maybe we'll see more of that from him. On an NHRA side... There was an event uh, at Charlotte, the national event there. They went four wide for everything but top dragster. In the final, Scott Neal gets it done over Zach Sackman. So congrats to Scott Neal. Kept it pretty tight this week on the half-track report, but we will bring you more action next time. Whoa, let's...
Let's get out of the groove for just a minute and bring on an expert in the field of fire safety, my longtime friend, a longtime listener of the show, Chuck Tidwell. Chuck, how are we doing today, man? We are doing absolutely fantastic, my man. Thanks for having me on. I love it. I love it. Chuck, you and I have known each other a very long time, um, and you have been to the track uh, many, many times um, and you know, are a big drag racing fan. I know you are. I know your your family and your girls are as well. Um, but 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 you have a little bit of different background, and one that I think is becoming more and more important um, for drag racers, and and it's you know getting more and more mainstream, which is dealing with electric vehicles on the track. And, you know, I think the concern is what happens when these things blow up, because as you are well aware, race cars are going to wreck that that is going to happen at the track at some point. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So uh, so Chuck, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of background um, on your because you've been a fireman before and and now you are heavily involved in the fire safety world. Uh, tell us a little bit about your history and how, how you come to this place. Well, for the last 10 years, uh, I've been in in the fire service uh, from the equipment provider standpoint, working for a distributor, or excuse me, a distributor, uh, providing all of the tools, the protective equipment, uh, even the fire apparatus, themselves, you know, everything that a firefighter needs to do their job on a day-to-day basis. Um, I've also got 10 years of experience as a volunteer uh, with a couple of different departments. Got a chance to see a lot of different things. Uh, Had some really great experiences. Have had some, as you can imagine, some really rough experiences. It comes with the territory, but at the end of the day, you know, good or bad, you know, the nice thing that I love about being a firefighter was that we were the good guys. You know, we are the ones that people call when they're at their absolute worst. Um, it's a, it's a humbling and an honor to be able to, to train with some of the greatest firefighters in the country, which I've had the opportunity to do, uh, recently, obviously, you know, you and I talking about this before the show, we had a chance to meet out in Indianapolis during our um, uh, FDIC, the uh, Fire Department Instructors Conference, and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, this topic, uh, which has kind of come on the scene, like you said, rather quickly. And um, Chuck, just let me just, for our- like anything that we've seen. Yeah, for and for our listeners, um, you know, and, we, and Chuck, we've got we've got a lot of listeners, or not a lot, but there are listeners that are firefighters themselves and are racers, and you know, yeah. understand. But for our listeners, the FDIC, that instructors conference, is the PRI for uh, firemen. Really, I mean, they're they're there exactly. to learn about it, and so you know, it's but and it's the same thing. It's downtown Indy, um, and it's you know everybody gathering there to try to get the latest and greatest. So. You know, Chuck, you are on the sales side now. You're selling the, mm-hmm. you know, the fire equipment, which, you know, from our standpoint, we are all used to the Simpsons and the, and you know, the impacts and and the uh, 
Pro One gear and all that stuff. And we don't like it, but it's certainly necessary. But I think the Correct. the you know, and I think the smarter guys get that hey, we don't want to use it, but if we need it, um, we better have it, right? I mean, that's kind of the the whole thing with fire safety gear, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, we joke in the fire service, uh, the national guidelines we're required to follow, you know, they're just called guidelines until you get into a courtroom. And then, by golly, it's all law then. (laughs) Right, right. And the same thing, right? It's, It's guidelines if you never need them. But when you right. need fire, uh, you know, protective gear, safety gear in any manner, boy, you don't want to be without it. So, um, yeah, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. But the, the thing that we talked about, which I thought was kind of fascinating and it's, it's becoming more and more of a concern, is these electric vehicle fires. Now, you know, uh, you know, Elon is out there pushing these things pretty hard. And boy, if GM and Ford are falling right behind, but, but it poses a really different, uh, risk factor, correct? For, I mean, for all of us that exactly. are driving down the street at the racetrack, I mean, it's just a completely different type of fire. Is that right? Is that accurate? Correct. That is very accurate. And right now I would say in the industry, there's two schools of thought. And looking at it just from a day-to-day fireman's type situation, uh, I mean, obviously at the track, we've got the same type of exposures, but, you know, the way that they set up fire suppression and support teams at the track, it's a little bit different than uh, the fire trucks you see running down the street. So currently there's two schools of thought, and I, and I talked in depth with some with some other people that are kind of leading the field in addressing these these types of calls Mm -hmm. and uh the one school of thought is just based on experience when and we'll use a tesla as an example because it seems to be the the front runner in the ev market uh the lithium battery technology as great as it is poses a huge uh uh a huge challenge to those of us on the fire suppression side. Uh, one of the cool technologies that was brought to uh, the conference a couple weeks ago was a, a type of device that ran on compressed air that would, uh, when put underneath the vehicle, say you've got a vehicle disabled on the shoulder or side of the road, right. um, the the product itself, when we placed it underneath the vehicle, compressed air would shoot a piercing nozzle, a, a modified steel tip, uh, into the battery compartment, and then with a hose line attached, would then basically push water into the battery compartment. The problem that we're running into. Yeah, it, it is very cool. I didn't get a chance to see it actually work on a car. We didn't have a Tesla out there. But to be able to see the the, the setup itself work uh, just from a demonstration standpoint was very impressive. I believe uh, this is technology that's coming over from Europe where they've been a little bit ahead of the game on the electric vehicle market because they've got a little bit better uh, market penetration sure. uh, with car sales there. Um 
But uh, the challenge that we're finding is that with a, uh, a phenomenon called thermal runaway in these uh, lithium-ion batteries, the problem is, is that with each electric vehicle, the batteries are not necessarily set up the same way. Case in point with Teslas, depending on what kind of model you have, dictates how many different battery banks you have and how many batteries are on the vehicle. Uh, if it's just front wheel drive, you've got uh, a set of electric motors up front and you've got the battery pack itself uh, basically located in the center of the car. As I understand it with some other designs of Tesla, if they're all wheel drive, then the battery packs are actually separated. There's actually two uh, different sets of battery packs. Regardless, what we're running into is the amount of heat generated when one of these battery packs overheats and ultimately short circuits, we could get what's called a thermal runaway. Tesla's designed their battery packs where there's basically ports that would allow the, the combustion of these materials to basically shoot out through these ports, ultimately what we in the fire service would call uh, venting to get the heat released out so we can start working on cooling uh, the burning fuel source. The problem is with the lithium ion polymers is that it burns at such a high temperature, the amount of water that we would be throwing on it ultimately turns to steam. So there's a question of how effective are we really being if we're trying to shoot water into a very hot burning battery, if that makes sense. Yeah. The, way, the other the, side of that is. Yeah, go on. Oh, go Sorry. Ahead. No, no, no. Well, I was just trying to understand no. this. I'm trying to understand because I think the the thing is with these higher power batteries, they they just store so much more energy so that the heat is infinitely greater than anything we've ever used before. Right. These lithium exactly. batteries and all this stuff. I mean, it's just and we're hearing stories of these things where, you know, they get in a wreck. We take them to the salvage yard, and then they catch on fire two days later, and you know, they, and so, and it's just because these things, you know, the batteries are so powerful, but they create that much heat. So, you know, to your point, how do you get them cooled off, right? So, I'll, I just, I, well, I wanted to make sure I understood that correctly. Yeah, no, and, and I'm sure most of the other listeners that you have under that are in the fire service have probably experienced something similar or know somebody that has. So the stored capacity of these batteries, like you said, you know, we're talking days after a motor vehicle accident, cars taken to the junkyard, and two days later, uh, fire departments getting called out to the junkyard because the battery's still on fire. Because what's happening is the, as the, the individual cells within the battery start touching each other and start shorting off, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not like a brick of firecrackers. They're, at some point, they may or may not stop touching each other. So it's only those affected cells touching each other that are really setting off the fire. But over time, if, if my research is correct, that even in a stored state, that underlying temperature, if it's not addressed, does, does and can keep crawling across that battery pack. So in the fire service, we would call that a reignition. Mm. You know, we've already put the fire out once, we thought, right? 
but then we have a rekindling or a reignition of the fuel source because we haven't effectively cooled that off. So in, if I understood this, the story correctly, this particular car that was sitting in a storage lot for two days, ultimately the fire department had to bring in a roll-off dumpster, put the car in there, and literally submerge it to finally get it to cool down to a point. Obviously, from a logistical standpoint, from day-to-day -day firefighter operations, that's not practical. Right. The other half of the story is, is that, or I should say the other side of the coin is, with the water hitting these hazardous materials, ultimately, what kind of runoff are we dealing with that may be collected in the water as it's coming off the vehicle from burning? You know, are we dealing with a hazmat situation? Right. So there's two sides of the coin we're trying to play, right? Man, that's, uh, yeah, because now you've got contaminated water and, or potentially contaminated water. And what do you do with all that, right? After, after, exactly. I mean, so, yeah, that's fact. Now, and, and what type of temperature range are we talking? Are we talking about like, uh, what I worry about is that the track, uh, let's say a Tesla goes down and it flips over, whatever happens, right? And then mm -hmm. it wrecks and it gets, hot enough i mean does it does it just burn up the concrete then i mean is it is it capable of burning the concrete or how how does that work i i would imagine that is a very likely scenario because we're talking again from the people that i've done my research with you know they're talking about temperatures anywhere from a thousand to four thousand degrees yeah i mean in the fire service you can't throw enough water on a fire that hot effectively to make it cool down with any type of uh, uh, expedience. I mean, it's just, it, it would take so long and so much water to put a fire like that out. And then again, you know, what are we dealing with as far as the runoff? How do we contain that? So yeah, we've got, there are some serious challenges, both for the firefighters on the street and the fire support crews on the track, because you know, as well as I do, you know, the track surfaces, you know, they're, they're very susceptible to wear and tear. And those types of temperatures, I don't care what type of material we're talking about as far as racetrack surfaces, you know, you can get spalling of concrete and all kinds of stuff when things get that far out of hand. So how do we address that? I think that's where we're at now. Yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. And I, I'm, I'm fearful for the uh, firefighters that are dealing with this stuff. I'm fearful for um, the firefighters and the safety people at our tracks because i mean if you think about mm -hmm. it the 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 gear that we use as drivers to protect ourselves against fire i mean it's shocking how little it does i mean it, it will protect us but we have seconds to get out of that um and it's not right. at this point it's not four thousand degrees so you know for for you guys um you know man if that thing would I don't know what splash or whatever me and the and the lithium would come at you in any way, shape, or form. Then, or you know, if the cell would be broken, then you know if that eats through your clothing and your protective gear pretty quick, I would guess. Yes, yes, and it, I think in in cases like with electric vehicles, there's a lot of um, reinforcement and safety incorporated into the enclosure of the batteries. Yeah. But even still, if fire breaks out the aluminum structural composites or components of the subframe of the vehicle is will be subject to melting. I mean, there's 
I'm actually looking at my uh, computer screen right now, and I mean, there are just videos upon videos of, you know, vehicle fires with these lithium ion batteries, and the amount of damage that these things do is just amazing. So, you know, even from a firefighter standpoint, you know, our protective gear has at least two layers. We have an outer shell and we have a thermal layer um, and then a moisture barrier. But if you start getting liquid metal, burning liquid metal, um, they're, the, the gear is not designed to protect you from that. I mean, the only thing you can do is escape to a safe, safe area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously entrapment in a vehicle in a situation like that, you know, could turn a good day into a bad day real, real quick. Yeah, Chuck, I'm trying, man. I'm trying to get on board with these things, uh, but uh, they're not making it easy. I mean, they're they're not making it easy for me to like the uh, you know oversized RC cars. I mean, it's just it's hard for me to get on board with this thing. You know, there's just yeah. there's too many. Uh, well, there's just a lot of deception from the government saying these are the answer, and then and then we've got these issues, and and I know you guys spend a lot of time just. Um, trying to educate firefighters on, you know, these new hazards, because they're just, it's a different type of fire than what we're used to, correct? Yeah, well, in in reality, I mean, everybody is embracing uh, electric vehicle technology. Los Angeles Fire Department at uh, at Indianapolis uh, displayed their new all-electric fire truck. Um, The technology's not gonna go away it's just a matter of us staying ahead of it, you know, to understand what the risks are and where your exposures lie. I think, uh, you know, there was, there was a, a huge paradigm shift in the fire service when we went from horse-drawn steamers to, you know, engine-powered fire trucks. So I think we're, I think we're there now, just so it's just the next level. It's going to take some getting used to. It's going to take some uh, it's going to take some education, and uh, I think we're going to get through it. I, I'm excited of what's coming down the pipe, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you. A uh, uh, little bit of reservation. Let's see how this all pans out. I wouldn't say either of us are early adopters of new technology. I think we've been down that road before. <laughs> you know, let, let, let's sit back and, and see what happens first. But, uh, you know, a lot of the major metropolitan cities are already talking about, you know, mandating, you know, X percentage of their cars and their city limits are electric powered by what, 2035. So it's coming. We just have to embrace it. But, you know, how can we do it and keep everybody safe? Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the conversation. It, it helped me a little bit understand and I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there, and I hope uh, you know we don't have any major catastrophes in the meantime. But uh, uh, where, where would you suggest our listeners go if they if they want to just learn more about what's happening on the safety side for this, Chuck? Oh, that's a good question because there's a ton of resources out there. Um, I would tell you that uh, FDIC.com, uh, the website, uh, they have a a lot of information resources out there. A lot of the firefighters use it as kind of a standard. Uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there. there I shouldn't even say YouTube, all over social media. Uh, pick your preference, Instagram, Telegram, 
uh, TikTok. You're a big TikToker. But, uh, we know you're a big TikToker. We get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I did throw a few videos out there. I have been tagged on a lot of videos. Um, but uh, I wouldn't say that my, my social branding has really taken off yet. <laughs> well, you're probably, <laughs> you're probably not shaking it enough then is what I would say. Shake it a little uh, more. That's, um, I think that's the MO for TikTok. Um, sure. Um, I'm a little too old to shake it anymore. Um, maybe a, just a gentle wiggle, <laughs> but, uh, no, there's, I think a lot of the, a lot of the folks, if, if you just go out there and just Google, uh, what you're looking for, you can find a host of stuff from all kinds of different resources. The, the thing that I would stress is do your diligence and research the information that you're looking at, uh, instead of just taking everything at face value. There's, we still got a lot to learn. And there's a, there's going to be a lot more changes coming down the pipe, but uh, a little bit of preparation goes a long way. I like it. Hey, Chuck, thanks so much. Uh, guys, girls, that was the great Chuck Tidwell, if you need him. As we hit the mile per hour cone, we got to talk about the 148th annual Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike is the name of the horse, and he wins that race, and he wins one of, if not the best, Kentucky Derby of all time. First off, Rich Strike, which is the name of the horse, wasn't even entered in the Derby at 8 a.m. on Friday. There was a scratch by one of the other horses, and they told the trainer he had 10 minutes to enter if he wanted. So by 8.30 a.m. on Friday, history was in the works. The horse, coincidentally, won its first ever race in God's country, uh, Evansville, Indiana, essentially. It's Ellis Park in Henderson, Kentucky. So I, um, once I found that out, it made a lot of sense. But I digress. Um, so we get to the post time of the race about 7 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. And Rich Strike is coming out of the 20th hole essentially making it have to run farther than any other horse, even if it's only by a few feet. But keep in mind that Kentucky's Derby is one mile and one quarter long. That, that race is five times the amount of a quarter mile. The first quarter mile, as any good drag racing fan would want, was the fastest first quarter mile in history. But it was not great for Rich Strike. Uh, he was in 16th place at the mile marker, with only a quarter mile to go. So keep in mind, we're four-fifths of the race through this thing, and he's in 16th place. That is when Rich Strike welded the wastegate shut and put on a show. I'm going to let you listen to the last 20 minute, 20 seconds, I would say here, of uh, the, the race call, but pay attention. The announcer doesn't even mention Rich Strike until he almost crosses the finish line. Uh, go back and watch this replay. Uh, the line the horse took to make this comeback, um, and, and he was almost blocked in by a bunch of slower creatures, and then making move after move until the afterburners catch fire is amazing. Oh, I didn't tell you. Rich Strike went off at 80-1, to 1, the longest shot in Kentucky Derby history to win. A $100 bet would have netted you eight gur. So going back even further, the owner of Rich Strike paid 
$30,000 for this horse and won $1.8 million. Assuming you would have made that same $30,000 bet on Rich Strike on Saturday afternoon, a la Mattress Mac, you would have won $3.8 million. about that think about that this horse came was when i turned that on when i turned that sound on he was in 13th place there was less than a quarter mile to go and the announcer didn't even know he was in the race i mean he was not talking about him then down the stretch he figures it out weaves in and out of traffic just goes berserk and catches epicenter to win the race. So it's a, it's 80 to 1. I mean, I've never even heard of such a thing. And really, is there any greater story than to have to battle from the back of the pack, dodge, weave your way out of traffic to find daylight, and then when you do find it, put your head down and run past everyone if you want the rich strike? Rich strike is the playbook. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 98. And uh, there it is. There is the wind light. And certain. Wow. Wow. There it is, an old friend. Producer Chris, I like it. I like it. You know, that's a great point. Uh, Rich Strike kind of reminded me of the uh, the blues story, the St. Louis blues story in which we started Glorious. I like the circling back of the, the whole thing. Guys, girls, we had a great week. We're capping it off with Gloria, too. We had a great week. Kyle Harris, his blown altered out of canada was a he was a great interview um chuck tidwell our good friend uh friend of the show came back on and uh talked to us a little bit about fire safety and what we're gonna have to deal with these electric vehicles um it was a really great show and we're we're kind of finalizing it up here with glory which is so cool thank you producer chris for doing that um hey if you have comments questions or curse words you know how to get at me uh, hit the Facebook Messenger. Um, you know you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe.
excellent job, Rex. Episode 98 is in the books. I like it. Hey, man. Um, nicely done with the Gloria circle back. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome, actually, uh, because it is. It's Rich Strike is a lot like that Blues team that just, I mean, came from out of nowhere, was way behind, came back, and won the whole thing. So, I mean, it's, it's just a good story to tell. I mean, it's good for all of us to keep our head up, to keep keep grinding, keep at it. And, uh, man, success is there for those who keep working at it. Um, you know, funny thing, though, as I was digging into this, I was watching, uh, you know, the, the Derby, and I was thinking, hey, man, this is so cool, especially for drag racers, that it was the fastest first quarter mile of all time. But, Chris, think about this. Um, Rich Strike wins the Kentucky Derby. Um, do you know how, uh, where Secretariat would have finished if Secretariat would have been running that exact same derby? Uh, keep in no, mind, it was right. the fastest quarter mile, first quarter mile in history. Where do you think Secretariat would have finished? 13 lengths ahead of Rich Strike. Wow. <laughs> Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing.